Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 35 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you. Oilers now. We'll get to NHL today for elite promotional marketing. Do your clients love the outdoors? Get them the hottest summer gear like branded camping chairs, coolers, and more. Elite promotional marketing, more than just sportswear. Here's Brendan Escott. Thanks, Bob. The Blues and restricted free agent goaltender Jordan Bennington agreed to a two-year contract extension on Saturday worth $4.4 million per year, avoiding arbitration, which was scheduled for July 20th. His last contract was a one-year deal at $650,000. Talk about a pay raise. Colorado and newly acquired Andre Burakovsky agreed to a one-year deal at $3.25 million. The Sabres inking eighth overall pick Dylan Cousins to his entry-level contract this morning. Simon Holmstrom, the 23rd overall pick at this year's draft, signed his ELC with the Islanders as well. Yesterday, the Wings inking sixth overall pick Moritz Sider to his entry-level deal. Elsewhere, the Flyers re-upping with Scott Lawton over the weekend. Two years, $2.3 million per. He has 79 points in 272 NHL games. The Blues doing the same thing with Robbie Fabry. One year, $900,000. A small trade over the weekend saw the Leafs uh, send unsigned college forward Dakota Joshua's rights to St. Louis, who then signed the Ohio State product to a two-year deal. The American had 100 points in 128 collegiate games. This breaking this morning, the Leafs forward. William Nylander changing his number from 29 to 88. That is a number he that, wore with Moto. That's that's considered breaking news today, uh, I guess, on July 15th. It's July 15th, Bob. <laughs> if that's breaking news. Yeah. William Nylander, so why is he wearing 88? Uh, he's just going back to the number that he had uh, when he was in the junior ranks, I guess, or playing professionally in Sweden. He is saying to or, uh, Leafs fans rather that he will uh, pay for that number to be changed as long as it's at a particular location in Toronto. Finally, Bob suspended D-man Slava Voinov has signed a one-year deal in the KHL. The 29-year-old suspended 41 games by the league for a domestic violence issue back in 2014, and he has spent the last three years with SKA St. Petersburg, though he did not play professional hockey at all last year. Yep. Well... He's spent a long time in the KHL. And often players that spend that long there don't come back better. I guess the only guy that you could argue has was Radulov. He's really the uh, the package has landed, by the way, in line one. Uh, but uh, that's the one guy that you can make a strong argument came back from the KHL and is probably better than when he left. Some guests on our show received gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie, Brendan, and the staff at Roos Chris that orders now sent you. We're at an interesting time. In sport, I mean, is Tom Brady the greatest of all time? 
I think we can make a strong argument. He is in the NFL. If you take a look at the history of quarterbacks, most Super Bowl championships. Um, LeBron James, certainly a close two to Michael Jordan's one. But tennis has kind of three guys, really, when you think about it. Or do they? Do you include Rafael Nadal, given his dominance on the clay in France? Um, all three guys, though, I think, uh, between the Joker as well as uh, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer with 15-plus, uh, I think 15-plus now uh, major championships or grand slams. I don't know. Our next guest, I will concede... He's a bigger tennis fan than me, and he might be the biggest Roger Federer fan that I know. And next to the Cleveland Browns, I don't know what hurts him more. Uh, We'll find out right now. My play-by-play partner, Jack Michaels. Hello, Jack. How are you? How are you, Bob? Hey, how's your summer going? Uh, Well, up until yesterday, it was going pretty well. I had to shake out of it pretty good because it was uh, my daughter's 15th birthday, so I had to bounce back. You know what it's like having a 15-year-old daughter, so uh, you got to... You gotta shake off any bad mood quickly, otherwise she'll smell it out and be all over you. Yeah, in my case, I just got to make sure that my 15-year-old daughter isn't the one that puts me in the bad mood in the first place. So just, just, just <laughs> Tori, I'm just kidding because I know you're listening to every word that I say. Jack, no. believe it or not, I did not know this really until I kind of maybe knew this before, but now I know it for sure. Uh, my wife is also a huge Roger Federer fan, though she did not name her our dog Roger, just to set the record straight. But are, do you think you're as big a Roger Federer fan as there is out there right now? Oh, I, I think it's a lot. I actually, uh, when I went to Wimbledon the last three years, I ran into this lady who, you know, follows them all over the world and has, I mean, it's ridiculous. That's called stalking, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, so I... I, I think maybe I'm one of the uh, one of the elite, non-dangerous Roger Federer fans out there. Uh, but uh, we we work with a couple people who are huge Fed fans, as you know. Our colleague Louis DeBrusque is right there. So uh, you know, it's it's fun to talk about the debate. I mean, already you could have you could have sprung up a, a debate because I'm not sure I'd I'd uh, I'd put LeBron a, a close second. I'm not sure I'd elevate LeBron over some guys that I can think of in, in basketball. And really, even in tennis, Bob, it's it's really hard to compare. It's, it's tough because, you know, all those great players that came before you and I were born, you know, they turned pro because they had to make a living. So they yeah. didn't get to play in these major events. All right. Well, let, and, just just how many of the do, – do, do, does Federer, uh, Djokovic, as well as Nadal, are they all north of 15 uh, major, like, Grand Slam championships now? Yeah, Federer's got 20, Nadal 18, 11 of which have come at the French. And that's right. why I think you might – I'm not sure he's won enough of the others okay. uh, to be in the conversation, even though a lot of people would disagree with me on that. And then Joker was 16, and then the next one is uh, Sampras with 14. So, you know, I, look, it's uh, it's always fun to talk about. I mean, you and I have fun talking – All the time. Talking hockey and, and bat, you know, greatest players – uh, and it's it's a great debate, uh, but it's also you know uh, you and I are both fans, and uh, you know love rooting for teams and and anguish over losses and revel in victories, and uh, you know I so it, it makes it a little bit easier for me to understand uh, the anguish of of our fan base, meaning the Oilers and and our listeners, because 
because uh, I think you and I can can empathize with them because we root privately for our own favorite teams and other sports and and uh, it's amazing how even when we're north of 40 years old uh, how a loss can can put us in a bad mood. Well, and that's the genesis of part of why we had you because you put a tweet out yesterday and you said it was and, and, for, and first of all just in terms of the actual match in in your you know and you've been following tennis since what eight nine years of age is that the greatest Wimbledon final we've ever seen uh Wimbledon final probably not I would probably put it third behind really? uh yeah I'd probably put it third behind Borg McEnroe and uh Federer Nadal okay uh, it was a great great match but you know it, it was a little uneven um, and, and didn't have, uh, you know, except really near the end, there wasn't a ton of motion. The one thing about both guys is uh, they weren't really pumping themselves up the way they normally do. And, and so it was it was a little bit more of a reserve match. Uh, I, I would I would probably put it third, third best among Wimbledon finals ever played. It was a great, great match. Uh, and just for for Roger, that's now three times in the semifinals or further uh, that he's had two match points in, against Djokovic and lost. So it's funny how a couple of people tweeted back at me. Oh, you know, of course, you know, it's it's hard to feel sorry for you considering all that Rogers won. Right. But I will say this: I think Roger is singular among athletes in that he has won and lost in the most excruciating ways, almost equally. I mean, he's lost 6-4 in the fifth set of a Wimbledon final. He's lost 9-7. Now he's lost 13-12. I mean, you know, that that's, those are three just heartbreaking losses. He's lost in the fifth set of a U.S. Open final. He's lost in the fifth set of an Australian Open final. I mean, he's won a ton, but he's also lost in excruciating fashion. And, and really, the only athlete off the top of my head that can compare with him in terms of winning and losing equally would be Jack Nicholas because he won 18 majors in golf, Bob, but he lost 19. He finished second in 19. So those are two athletes that I think can understand each other. All right. Uh, your theme of your tweet, top toughest losses and that's where we want to go for listeners today you right. can text us at 6 30 6 30 we will open up the phone lines and we're for you and me we're going to exclude the orders well kind of we'll get to that in a second but from a fan's perspective your three toughest losses maybe explain the genesis of the concept of that and then get into some of the detail because it's pretty interesting to me well, I mean, my first one was the drive, which was John Elway leading the Broncos at 98 yards to tie the Browns in the final minute of the AFC Championship, the right to go to the Super Bowl. And then they eventually won it uh, in overtime, in the second overtime on a field goal, which to this day I still think was why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would invite you, Bob, in case you've forgotten. No, no, I've seen it. Yeah, it was in Cleveland, right? Yeah, it was in Cleveland. It's a barefooted kicker, and it it goes somewhere near the upright but over it. And, uh, you know, I'd still tell you it was wide. It's funny because years ago the Colts lost the same kind of game uh, to the Packers, and, and that one they called it good, Bob, and you can see the field goal kicker tossing his head back in frustration. He thinks it was wide. Uh, now, were you at that game, Jack? I, I, I was, and so, you know, I, 
Look, it, it was it was bitter. And then, you know, yesterday, I talked about yesterday would be the second toughest loss. And then my third was the Indians went to the ninth inning up uh, a run against the Florida Marlins in Game 7 of the 1997 World Series and managed to find a way to lose that game in extra innings. So those were my top three. For the Oilers, Bob, I, can, I, can I throw out a hypothesis of what people would say? Go for it. I would say uh, 2006, Game 7 to Carolina. Yep. I would say second on that list would be 1986, Game 7, the unfortunate Steve Smith own goal to Calgary. Yep. And then to be honest with you, and this is where my bias might get in the way a little bit here, I, I mean, if I really look at it hardcore from a fan perspective and pull my broadcasting headphones off, I mean, 3 nothing with three minutes to go in Game 5 of Anaheim, it's, it's the biggest comeback in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I would think that would be number three. Yeah, I, I've met, we've discussed all three a bit. Um, okay. You know, what would your top three be? Like, what, what well, has been the consensus? Se- separate from the, because uh, I'm sure you must have had a heartbreaker up in Alaska. For me, definitely, you know, as a broadcaster, 2017, up 3 nothing. That one just, you know, and my concern was. After, no, but as a fan, if you were a fan calling well, into the show. Uh, definitely 80. Well, I was a fan in 86. That one sucked. Right. That one taught me a lesson in life. Doesn't matter how good you are, you got every, you know, you got to have everybody going. I mean, that one. Would and, you and, put that above 06? Yeah, because you know what? Game one of 06, being up three nothing in that game and losing Dwayne Rollison, who by the way will be on the show on Wednesday. Um, you know, that, the, the whole sequencing in 06 because it was unexpected. I, I I would have to put eighty six up just because of what it broke up, and you know, and that that also makes a great redemption story for Steve Smith. How far he came as a player, being able to rebound from that. Right. But uh, you know, I mean, I was a cocky twenty year old guy thinking that the Oilers were unbeatable, and they got beat, and they got beat four times by Calgary. It's not like they got beat in a one game playoff. As a fan, Jack, even this year when we were in, you know, we went to the national championship game. I I wasn't that upset after Alabama, because I was mad at them for getting their ass kicked that badly, right? Like, Clemson, app, and all I could think of is you keep on moving out the offensive and defensive coordinators, and Clemson has all this continuity in their coaching staff, and it finally caught up against you elite on elite, right? Because the, the sort of programs, and we were at that game, and I wasn't that you know, I was more disgusted than I was heartbroken because it wasn't close. Like, yesterday was close, Jack. And that's, you know, yeah. 1986 was close. It was one bounce, and the Oilers could have won that series, though they did lose four games. So are those Yeah, are, see, those I, are... I, I'm just wondering, like, if I was a fan, I, I mean, and I, you know, it's kind of weird for us because we can't completely sell our souls because, it takes away from what we have to do on the air. Like yeah. we need to keep in mind we're we're Somewhat you know to, on the yes, air and doing yes. a job professionally. But I would just think, I mean, yeah, eighty six hertz is the arch rival. Now you're saying because of what it broke up, I mean, you didn't know that at the time that it could have been five in a row, but you're probably thinking it could be four, three, four, five, six in a oh, row, yeah. who knows? Oh yeah. Um, but just the fact that it was I guess it, from an Edmonton perspective, you're probably thinking we get through this series, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. Because as I recall, uh, the rest of the league that year wasn't great. 
Uh, Calgary beat the Blues. The Blues came out of the Norris. Well, you and, you have another one that you didn't mention. Like, actually, you have two more that you didn't mention for me that we've discussed. You didn't mention. Uh, you could have mentioned '87 with Ernest. Ma- was it Ernest Spiner that fumbled? Yeah, the fumble, the fumble, and the he, was he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable in that game. He had like 180 yeah. oh, yards. Unbelievable. You're right, but that was that was one where they never led, Bob. Yeah. So you you weren't. They were down, I think, 21-3 and 28-10 in that ball game. Yeah. I don't think they ever led in that game. Yeah, and then the other one, uh, where was I going to – oh, geez, I just – oh, Pittsburgh in 93. Because you were, you, were, you were a Pens guy, right? 91-92. I'm surprised Pittsburgh losing to the Islanders because they had a chance for a three-peat in 90. Yeah. Su- yeah, I mean, that, that one that – one... Young, but you know what? It's it, and this will be, reveal a little bit of the difference, maybe between uh, American and Canadian. That was that was you know I'm at college, so I'm kind of removed from it. You know I'm 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 you know in a different city, four and a half hours away, submerged in you know collegiate life. Like it was a little bit muted because of that. It was you know you're just it's hard to it's hard to explain. But when you're away at school, sometimes you're in your own kind of world. Of that one, that one, believe it or not, Pop didn't didn't really? sing that much. I mean, it cost me a few dollars. I'll admit that. Yeah. <laughs> it stung me more in the wallet than the heart, to be honest. We've got some great texts coming in, Jack. Uh, one Johnny uh, Smart Alec guy texted in and said, uh, "Most toughest loss for him, the trade." Yeah. The trade is one for one. Hall for Larson. That was one of the texters. So, <laughs> hey, uh, great, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Absolutely. I, I watched at least an hour of the tennis yesterday, Jack. Just so you which know, which is an hour more than I would have predicted you'd watch at the start of the tournament. Well, so you know, you it's an interest. But the, the the whole thing is with with guys at that level. It's who who controls off the serve. Like that was the one thing that, to me that was really noticeable. I just can't believe he had he had double match point and he didn't close it. I just felt I know my, it's a my killer. And you, know, Jack, one more thing I just want to say, and you can yes. chime in on this, the class. And the humility and the humor that both guys showed directly after, it's pretty good. Well, it's, it's amazing because, uh, trust me, I lost matches that were a lot less meaningful playing for Meadville High School, and I showed neither class nor humility nor maturity nor anything. <laughs> I was an embarrassment to my father. So I really have admiration for when you can sit out there in front of 18,000 people and some of the requisite courage that it takes to uh, to face an interview and, and, like you said, find some dark humor in it. I, I really enjoyed that, and it's testament to the class and the professionalism of them both. All right. Uh, great stuff. We'll touch base here in the next couple of weeks, okay? Cheers, pal. Cheers. That's Jack Michaels, play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers. It's 12.53 at Edmonton. We will take a quick timeout. We'll get to calls, texts, tweets, and emails coming up on Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. It's 12.57 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you. All right, so toughest losses. We're going to open up the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, 780 Toughest losses, and they don't just have to be Oilers losses. I will uh, put a tweet out here momentarily with mine uh, for the toughest three Oilers losses, uh, one of which is involved, uh, you know, in a role as a broadcaster. Um, 
I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And we're already getting some terrific uh, text action as well at 6.30, 6.30. And again, it doesn't have to be just uh, the Edmonton Oilers hockey team. I might reveal a bit about some of your favorite other teams as well. I know Brendan Escott, being a Kamloops kid, I mean, it's going to be automatic. You're going to slide like the 2011 Vancouver Canucks in on me, aren't you? Is that what, Are you going to do that? That would be the one I'm most familiar with, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I, uh, I, I got to tell you, the... Uh, Majority of the listeners to the show were cheering hard for Boston that series. It was remarkable the amount of disdain that was out there for the Vancouver organization around Canada. For sure. Uh, and, and even in BC, it was that whole playoff run was just cheer against the Canucks. I don't care who I'm cheering for, cheer against the Canucks. It, it, really, it was that polarized, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, uh, we'll get to that when we return on Oilers Now after a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.